Coming up on Naked Age, we pay tribute to Woody Miller, a pillar of San Francisco's public nudity scene. So I put my clothes in my backpack and I put my shoes and hat on and open the front door and walk out to the bank. And when I get to the bank, I will stop and find someplace to put my backpack down and put my clothes on and go into the bank and come back out, take my clothes off and go home. Coming up right now on Naked Age. Buckle up. If you're someone who's ever wondered about the cultural aspects of nudity and art in the world, look no further than Planet Nude. At Planet Nude, we go beyond skin-deep discussions of nudism and delve into the current cultural, intellectual, and philosophical topics around nudity, exploring the way it's been used in art and activism, and the impact it has in our lives today. With a diverse group of contributors, Planet Nude brings thought-provoking essays and art uncovering everything from the history of nudism to the latest news. Join the close-free conversation at Planet Nude by subscribing on Substack today at planetnude.co. See you on Planet Nude. Welcome to Naked Age, a nudist history series exploring uncommon stories and profiling unique people who have gone to extraordinary lengths to live a nude life. I'm your host, Evan Nix. In this episode, we'll celebrate Woody Miller, a cultural aficionado and Castro fixture who lived his life at the intersection of nudism, activism, and art. This is Naked Age. How can I possibly describe my friend, Woody Miller? He was a complex and multifaceted man and a true nonconformist. At first, our friendship was based only on a shared passion for nudism, but over the course of more than 30 years, it deepened. Woody was a pioneer of San Francisco's public nudity scene. He lived in the city's largely gay Castro neighborhood for four decades and worked there as a beloved waiter nearly as long. Tall and muscular with flowing red hair, it was hard to miss Woody strolling down a sidewalk naked except for boots and carrying a backpack full of clothing just in case. For the final decade or so of his life, Woody didn't even own a pair of pants, preferring the freedom of kilts. As his hair and long beard turned white and declining health took its toll on his body, Woody's wardrobe grew increasingly bright and cheerful. A dark canvas kilt might be replaced with an orange plaid one. Black boots were supplanted by hot pink high-top sneakers worn with striped socks. He was a peacock with a sense of humor. In his late 40s, Woody resumed his formal education, getting his associates in arts from City College of San Francisco and completing his BA in history at San Francisco State University in 2012. 
While later pursuing a master's in the same program, he researched and wrote about nudist history and body freedom. Until his death at age 66 on May 4, 2023, Woody never stopped surprising me with the breadth of his interests. His followers on social media might find posts about museum visits, the opera performances he and his longtime husband, John Wilson, subscribed to, silent film festivals, which they both loved, delicacies Woody had whipped up in their homey kitchen, his vast collection of antique phonographs, and politics, especially as pertaining to equality and civil liberties. Woody was a voracious reader. He often posted pictures of book covers captioned simply, What are you reading? He posted a daily photo proudly showing off whichever vintage wristwatch he was wearing from among dozens he'd collected. He told me once that his enjoyment of watches stemmed partially from the fact that he could wear them and still be naked. And there was no shortage of nudity on his social media accounts, unabashedly frontal where permitted or censored to meet Facebook's uptight standards. But even so, nudity landed Woody in Facebook jail so often that he maintained a second profile where he could continue posting until his primary account was again unlocked. It was fun watching members of his various communities, let's say gramophone lovers versus nudists, selectively liking photos. And it was typical of Woody not to compartmentalize his interests so that everybody else could stay in their own little comfort zones. Woody held strong opinions and dislikes, but he was thoughtful and fair about them. I never knew him to be unkind, although he could be very confrontational. He didn't hesitate to verbally defend himself or anyone who was being harassed, whether they were fellow public nudists or unhoused people sleeping on the streets of his neighborhood. By the way, I'm Andy Tabbitt. I recorded the following conversation with Woody at his home on March 13, 2019. At the time, I had no plan for it. In fact, I'm honestly not sure why I did it. I'd recently begun listening to podcasts about nudism, and I think I was inspired by those. Also, Woody's health had started to decline. He was often short of breath and lacked stamina for the kinds of naked adventures we'd shared for decades, so maybe I was just looking for something we could do together that wouldn't tax him. I couldn't have anticipated that COVID would soon separate us for years, nor that he would pass away shortly after we were able to resume our visits. In any case, I'm thankful to have this recording of his story told in his own voice. Just a few days before his death, four years after the recording was made, Woody reiterated his consent to having it published. While you listen, please visualize two old friends visiting on a sunny afternoon. As I climb a narrow staircase to the second floor flat, Woody waits naked at the top. As usual, with no discussion, I head directly to the bedroom, take off my clothes, and leave them on the bed. Then I join Woody for strong coffee in a Victorian parlor with tall windows. The room is beautiful, with comfy furniture and 
overflowing with old bronze statues, potted plants, and numerous gramophones. There are books everywhere. I place my phone on the table between us, hit record, and begin asking questions I foolishly think I already know the answers to. So how would you like to be introduced? Woody. I'm Woody. Woody. And I'm sitting here naked with my friend Andy. <laughs> is Woody your real name? Um, well, it's what everyone calls me. My birth name is Elwood. I was Woody from as, as young as I can remember. I was Woody and I never heard of it as a sexual innuendo until I moved to California. Oh, way, way back in the early 80s, the 1980s, that is, not the 1880s. I was uh, born in 1956, and I moved, I lived in Pennsylvania, a small town in the east half of Pennsylvania, and I moved to California in 1982, and have been here ever since. So you moved directly from Pennsylvania to... I drove as far as I could drive and stay on land. <laughs> Got it. What was your family life like? I had a sister and a mother and a father. I was very shy. As a child, I remember, you know, like, in the summertime, my mother encouraged me to take my shirt off. And I was like, I can't take my shirt off? I was very conservative and shy. I, I, I don't know why. Um, I was just shy. But then as I got to be a teenager, I somehow, I first was exposed to being naked, skinny dipping. With friends? Yeah, or just by myself, and it felt good. And what kind of venue was that? I mean, the creek uh -huh. outside of town, which doesn't exist anymore. I mean, now it's all paved and guardrails. When you went with friends, I mean, was that just considered a... Yeah, go, go swimming at the creek and it's hot. And so we'd all take our clothes off and go swimming. And I, I liked it. I wanted to do more of it. I remember seeing photographs, of course, of uh, hippies, which I found very intriguing. And I guess that started me thinking about, you know, being... 12 or 13 in the fantasy of what it would be like to be older and freer and how I could live my life. Did you recognize at that point that being naked was somehow more important to you than it is to most others? Or I, I, I didn't think about it in those terms. I just thought that it looked like a fun thing to do and a free thing to do. And um, I was really into being different. I, it was a studied eccentricity. Um, I've gotten so good at it now, I don't have to, it's not studied anymore. But, you know, I, I think that part of it is that I was made so, I was made fun of so much for, for I was the school sissy. I wasn't good at sports and it's obvious to everyone around me that I was a little queer kid. So I was picked on at school for that. And then, you know, I would get home and my mother would berate me for not being manly enough. I took up the challenge and I said, okay, I'll be as, you know, you want me to be different, I'll show you different. Do 
you feel that there's any connection between your nudism, not nudism in general, but your nudism, and being queer? Or are they each completely independent facets? No, of course they're not. Everything's connected. How old were you again when you came to San Francisco? How old? I was 27. So how long were you here before you began looking for ways to be naked? I remember the first time I went to the Folsom Street Fair and I realized that people would go there and take their clothes off. And I, I was like, wow, it would be wonderful if I would be able to do that. And I just thought I could never do that, ever. But I thought about it a lot. And I met a friend who had an apartment right off of Folsom Street. So that solved the problem of what do I do with my clothes and how do I get there? You know, all these obstacles that we put in place as excuses for not being brave enough to do something. I went with my friend and put my clothes in his friend's apartment and my boyfriend at the time and I walked out of his house and I was naked and I was terrified. And I got down to Folsom Street and I was still terrified until the moment that I walked past a group of policemen and nothing happened. And then I was like, oh man, this is, this is nice. <laughs> so that was your first experience with actual public nudity. Yes, that was my first experience with actual nudity in public. So once you went to that first Folsom Fair and you were naked and you walked past the cops and you spent the day naked, what next? Well, I was, I was an artist at the time and fellow artists were trying to get sketch groups together and I suggested that we, instead of hiring models or, or seeking out models, that we should just all be naked and we could take turns models. So we started this naked sketch call. We were meeting weekly at this famous house on 14th Street. The Ferry House. The Ferry House. And we would meet there every week for the naked sketch group. I was producing work and looking for places to show it. And I just thought, what well, if I have a show like the Naked Sketch Group of Nudes and I'll be naked and everyone who comes will be naked. And I talked to the owner of the house about doing it there and it was an experiment. So I didn't know if anyone would show up. They all think it was silly. And I, so I did it and uh, I was amazed at how well it went. I didn't sell a lot, but I never did. But it seemed to be really popular. A lot of people showed up and there was press. A lot of people came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I'm an artist and I would, if you did this again, I'd certainly be interested in doing it. So I decided that to do it again and ended up doing, I don't know, six or seven of them. So of the people who attended, uh, what percentage would you say took their clothes off? They all had to. They had to. They had to get in. Oh, I didn't remember that part. Yes, yes, you have to take your clothes off. When we met, being a painter seemed to be a very major part of your identity. You were Woody the artist, the naked artist, and you let that go. Yeah, I quit painting in 1999. For a reason, or did you just kind of lose the need, or? Well, I ran out of space. <laughs> no one was buying them, and I live in an apartment. I needed a change. I was happy with the way my painting was progressing, and 
I wasn't feeling good about it anymore. It wasn't bringing me joy, as that Japanese woman would say. So I said, I thanked it <laughs> and said goodbye. And just, but it led to me exploring other avenues of being, which involved going to school. There are many artists who focus their work on the nude, but when they show their work, they're not naked. They're not naked. Right. Well, so, you know, that didn't come first. I, I wanted to be an artist and I painted and I went to art school. And as I got older and I moved here and I became more interested in nudity, it just seemed like those two things flowed together. Do you like being seen naked? In other words, do you have any? And there's two parts to that question. There's, does your nudity have an exhibitionistic component, there's also the potential political thing of liking to be seen naked if, if, if nude acceptance is a cause for you. So I'll let you take it from there. But, um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know if it's that I like being seen naked. It's like, do I like being seen as queer or gay? I don't like hiding that I'm gay. I don't like hiding that I'm a nudist. And there's also a part of it that's tied up with societal changes that have occurred in the neighborhood in which I lived, where when I moved here, even though it was the beginning of the epidemic, uh, it was more open as far as sexuality and who lived here and what was permitted and what wasn't permitted. And through the years, you know, everything changes and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but there's been a push to normalize the neighborhood, to make it more accepting to a general populace. And I feel like doing things like public nudity is important to let people know that that hasn't all gone away. What about the art shows? Like, yes. Pardon? Yes. Well, I wanted to, my art to be looked at, but I also wanted to be looked at Yes, and you know, I know that you and I have gone to different events where we were naked and not everyone was. And of course, that's about being seen. Part of it Part is of about it. being seen. But mostly it's about, for me, mostly it's about being who I am and being genuine. And I think that we all should have the ability to do that. I get upset when, when people criticize people because of the clothes that they wear, that it's not inappropriate, you know, there's this meme that goes around the internet about people at Walmart and photographs of what people decide is, you know, ugly or inappropriate attire. And this thing that drives me crazy because you're assuming why people appear a certain way, what their motivations are. And that was one of the things that would drive me crazy when I would walk around, when I would go out in public in the neighborhood naked and people would assume, they would tell me to my face that why I was doing this and that necessarily was not the case. And it's like, why, why do you think that? Why do you assume that? It's about empathy, I think. So, so far, we have not talked about any kind of experiences you may have had with organized nudity. We've talked about events that were 
sanctified or organized, but we haven't talked about clubs or organizations. Yeah. <laughs> but I know you've had some experience. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would not want to join a club. It would have me as a member. <laughs> <laughs> well, I joined at least one. <laughs> you know, organized nud nudism or naturism. I, I, you know, there's, there's gay nudism and naturism that's organized, and then there's general straight nudism and naturism that's organized, and I, you know, that's fine if that's what your thing, your bag is, but I, for one thing, it's expensive, and the other thing is, like, this whole attitude of nude where appropriate. It's like, well, where is it not appropriate? That's my response to that. You know, for a while, it was this free beach movement that, that was seemed to be rooted in, in the 60s and this feeling of, of wanting to be free and being open and being able to be naked. And now it's so, it seems like it's become so commodified. It's all about leisure vacations and spending money. And We were both involved in a club, I guess, in the... 80s or perhaps the early 90s called Skins. Skins. San Francisco Kindred Nudists. Um, yeah. <laughs> which cost nothing to belong to um, and which was all male, all gay male. But one interesting thing that came out of the Skins, I guess it didn't necessarily come out of the Skins directly, but that's where I encountered it, was that there was a member named Derry Calvi, who was very meticulous about reading the laws pertaining to nudity in San Francisco. And he had the radical idea that non-sexual nudity was not illegal in the city streets, although it is in the parks. He was well-informed. And he was the one that first went nude in the Bay to Breakers with a small group of friends. He created that. So in a way, that came out of the skins. He was pitching it. And they were arrested. Were they? They were arrested as soon as they crossed the finish line, and they fought it, and it was thrown out. I remember hearing about it at that time. Well, most of, my, most of the time that I lived in San Francisco, I worked as a waiter. Since my paintings weren't selling like hotcakes, I sold hotcakes. And of course, when you work as a waiter, you have to work all those days that other people have off. So I participated in the Beta Breakers later on when I decided that, you know, living my life is more important than selling hotcakes. Although the club thing and the organizations did not work for you, because of that, it seems like you really sort of struck out on your own and forged a very unique, original path to being a person who lives naked. Sure, if you say so. Do you think it was a conscious decision? I think so, yes. I recall in my younger and prettier days when um, it would be nice and warm outside and I would walk down 18th Street uh, to do something in the neighborhood and I would have my shirt off and uh, just feel like, oh, this feels so good. Why can't I, why do I have to wear pants? 
and thinking about that a lot. And then a confluence of events happened that challenged me to cross those barriers. I you know, was talking to someone earlier and I likened it to coming out of the closet. You know, you're never out of the closet. You come out of the closet and you're in a bigger closet. Then you come out of that and you're in an even bigger closet. So it's, you know, like going skinny dipping with my friends and getting the nerve to go to the Folsom Street Fair naked is another closet and thinking about and walking down the street naked and then hearing about someone who's going to be doing naked yoga at Ghirardelli Square and, and I have to see this and going there and watching this person perform naked yoga on the street where all the tourists are and thinking, gosh, that's wonderful, brave of him. And then getting to know him more and finally doing it myself. You know, it's like closets, closets. What, what were some of your real sort of watershed moments where you just kind of made a breakthrough in terms of putting yourself out there? Well, Folsom Fair and then the naked nude art shows and finally going to walking down the street wearing no clothes. When there was public nudity in San Francisco, when we finally convinced the police that they shouldn't issue us tickets for being naked because it wasn't illegal. You know, I think George was cited 22 times. We're talking about George, George Davis. Davis, the naked yoga guy, was cited like 22 times and it never, all the charges were always dropped because it wasn't illegal. The police just thought, oh, this must be illegal. We'll issue a ticket for it. We'll arrest these guys. And it was finally when George was running for mayor and campaigning nude on City Hall steps that the police finally, you know, the DA's office said, you can't cite him for this because it's not illegal. And we thought that was a big win for us. That's when we all started gathering at Jane Warner Plaza was after the DA's office issued this statement to the police saying, this is how you deal with public nudity. These are the rules. So we thought, ah, this is it. We've, we've arrived, now we can be naked. So in all of these references, we're talking whether individuals like you or George Davis or Derry Calvi or these guys at Jane Warner Plaza were talking about Guys, yes, we unfortunately we are. It's a man's world, you know. The Castro, it's not a gay thing. This was never a gay thing. I mean, I, I think that a lot of the the men who go who would go to Jane Warner Plaza that I would know about, I think the majority of them were straight. But we live in this in a patriarchal society that's based on misogyny and the sexualization of women's bodies. And so it's the same problem that mainstream religious organizations have and why there was a time when they felt like they had to have a gender balance because it seems like it's more acceptable and easier for men to participate in things like this than it is for women. And I often wonder if there had been more women who participated in the public nudity in, in the city if there would have been such a big backlash about it. I don't know. On a personal level, what is the importance of being nude to you? Freedom. The feeling of, you know, 
going outside, your your skin is an organ and it's senses. If you go outside and you feel on a day like today it's sunny and the breeze is blowing and you can feel that on your skin and usually we only feel it on our faces and our hands. But if you can feel it on your whole body, it's an incredible feeling. I feel more authentic. I get dressed and there's always, how do I want to present myself today? Do I, is this a t-shirt kind of day? Whereas if you're naked, you're just you. You're not presenting this image. Is there a difference for you between being nude when you're alone and being nude around others? Um, yes, I think that, you know, if I'm only nude when I'm alone, if that's all I can get, I guess that's okay. But for social beings, um, this woman that I was talking to earlier said that she was interviewing this woman who was an, a nudist who, who shared an apartment and how the dynamics of that would work. And he pointed out to her that it's, there's not a, it's not a compromise. You're either, you're either naked or you're not, you know, and, uh, for someone to live in an apartment with a roommate and be told, well, you can be naked in your room. It's like, how confining is that? There are some people that would come to my home and I would get dressed for because I just, my relationship with them and their relationship with my husband, who's not a nudist, um, I, I have to respect that. But for the most part, I say that people that come to my home know me and they know that I like to be naked and they know that they would find me naked here. I remember that when I was working and uh, a friend of mine that I worked with brought, was coming over with another coworker who had never been to my home before. And the other coworker said to my friend, what are we going to do if Woody's naked? And my friend said, I guess we'll just have to get naked too. <laughs> Although they didn't. But my friend told me about that little conversation afterwards. So something that I admire very much about you, many nudists compartmentalize nudism. They go on the weekends to some nudist resort and they where is their opiate and, and their adult kids don't even know that's where they are or that you know and um you are very good about being very open about it. You use your real name online and in the press. What effect has that openness had on relationships with your family and your neighbors and your husband? I have a sister and she knows we don't really discuss it and we don't really see each other that often. My niece and my nephew are very proud of the fact that their uncle Woody walks down the street naked or used to. When I was going to college at San Francisco State, it was funny because after I was there a while, it became apparent to me that a lot of my professors, after I was in their class for a while, they would say that they knew about me before I joined their class because apparently they have a news feed at the college. Anytime San Francisco State appears in the news, it comes up on their news feed. And when I was doing public nudity, you know, and I was being interviewed by the press 
And they would say, what do you do? And I'd say, well, I work at Orphan Andes and I'm also a student at San Francisco State University. So, you know, they all knew that there was this guy who ran around naked. And at first I, you know, kind of like hesitated about worrying about that, but it soon became apparent to me that it was all perfectly acceptable to them. And I started writing about it. I was a history major and I started looking into the history of, of the body and public and uh, nakedness. Do you consider yourself an activist in terms of yes. nudities? Yeah. Do you feel that in any way you need to be a poster boy? Do you try to put your best foot forward? I always try to put my best foot forward. Well, that's admirable. Yeah. I'm less of an activist now because my body has turned against me. I have health issues now, which really impinge upon my ability to do physical activities. So I'm not as active as I would like to be. Apart from the physical challenges, is public nudity ever still a challenge for you? I mean, do you ever have to... Or well, I don't really, you know, the only time that I engage in public nudity now is when there's a permitted event. When it was legal here, I think there was a lot of people who would arrive at Jane Warner Plaza and take their clothes off and then sit there naked or walk up and down Castro Street naked and then they would put their clothes on and go home. For me, it was, I had to go to Cliffs or the bank. So I put my clothes in my backpack and I put my shoes and hat on and open the fr front door and walk out to the bank. And when I get to the bank, I will stop and find someplace to put my backpack down and put my clothes on and go into the bank and come back out, take my clothes off and go home. So I don't do that anymore because it's not legal. Why is it always the wrong people who take their clothes off? I heard so often when I worked at Orphan Andes and there was nudity happening in the plaza. Which, you know, it's like I would say to people over and over again, it's not about, they're not doing it for you. They're doing it for themselves, hopefully. Who are your heroes in terms of nudity? Oh, Andrew Martinez. Andrew Martinez was the naked guy who uh, was going to school at Berkeley in 1991. He started experimenting, like I said, closet doors. You know, he went to class with a shirt off first and moved to wearing just shorts and then finally decided that he was just going to be naked all the time. And I uh, think started a little bit of a movement in Berkeley for public nudity, which Unfortunately, like here, result, the end result was a ban on public nudity. He talked about, you know, when he first started doing this, he would go to class with his shirt off. And he said in, in, invariably it was the men in his class who would yell, Oh my God, cover that up! Cover that up! You mentioned earlier that you were a history major, and I know you've studied the history of nudity in various cultures and times. Uh, somewhat, you know, there's no really, it's not a field of study in history, although perhaps it should be. You've uh, gone as far as to learn German so you could read. Well, I tried to learn German, yeah. So that you could read certain things in their original. Yeah, that's just, that's just... Are there particular nude scenes on film 
or in passages in literature or anything like that that particularly resonate for you? Huckleberry Finn. We was naked. <laughs> yep, Huckleberry Finn. Um, and, you know, it's never, it's funny because it's always, whenever you hear about Huckleberry Finn or see a movie about Huckleberry Finn, it's always expurged that part. He was naked day and night. We never did take much to close. Do you think during your lifetime, have we seen progress in terms of body freedom and acceptance of nudity? No. I think we have, along with a lot of setbacks, you know, one step forward, two steps back kind of thing. Um, I'm well, I mean, you know, I think, that, you know, if you're talking about the mainstream nudist movement, of course, um, it's much more accepted now than when it was when I was a kid. I mean, when I was a kid, it was like, <laughs> nudist club, <laughs> you know, something you peer over the fence about. Um, and now it's, you know, advertised in media. And but also when we were kids, you were pretty mainstreamed, I would say. When we were kids, pre teens, you certainly would not see nudity in a film or in a... No. And, right. and and also, I'm thinking of a big advance is the Free of the Nipple movement, which I think is having tremendous success. There are now a lot of places in the United States where women have the same yes. top three rights as men. I, I remember doing research for something that I was writing when I was in school and looking through all newspaper clippings at the library about nudity and coming across... There was this uh, flurry of activity in the late 60s with public nudity in, in San Francisco, down around Powell Street, the cable car turning around, and different places, and streaking and such. And one of the people that were interviewed in the newspaper was a business owner in North Beach who said that he thought people being naked in, in the streets was awful, it was terrible, it was disgusting. How dare they? And he owned a topless dance strip club. And I just, you know, it made the connection for me that if it's commercialized and restricted, it's good. But if it's free and not commercialized, it's bad. Well, also in that particular instance, it sounds as though it was lining his pockets. Well, and of it, course. And, if, and I'm sure that if you would go in there, you wouldn't find any overweight women up there or older women up there. Right. But also if women were walking down the street topless, then nobody's paying to, I mean, to go into his. Right. Exactly. So when I look at that ad that's framed hanging on my wall over here, describe it. It's um, there's no place like home for the holidays uh, for um, Columbia Records and cartoon drawing of all these family gathered for the holidays with the grandmother coming out with the roast turkey and the kids on the floor. They're all naked, you know, and it's like, yeah, and you, you don't see that. Today it's showing just enough and is gym toned and perfect. Realistically speaking, do you have any goals or things that you hope will be achieved in terms of societal and or legal acceptance of nudity? Realistically speaking. Mm. Well, you know, I don't hope I don't hold out much hope for reversing the nudity ban. Although I know that there are people 
who still hold out hope out that it'll become more normalized. Can you give just the shortest nutshell explanation of the nudity ban? We discovered that, you know, the police were told they could no longer arrest us. And we had this moment of euphoria. And then there's Scott Wiener, who is the supervisor um, for the Castro neighborhood in District 8. Um, part of the City Board of Supervisors. Part of the City Board of Supervisors um, passed a law that said that you had to sit on something. You couldn't sit there on any public bench or uh, curb or anywhere. <laughs> you had to put something down, which was kind of silly because, you know, any good nudist knows that you do that and who wants to expose their their skin to the filth that's there already. Of course, they saw the other way around that they were being exposed to our whenever we would leave. And meanwhile, people are putting their shoes up there that they've stepped in dog shit. Right. But <laughs> and also, for some odd reason, you can be naked in a restaurant. So that law passed. And of course, you know, a law passes about nudity is, you know, the press is going to eat that up. It was kind of like running the flag up the pole saying, oh, you're going to be naked in San Francisco. And I think that's when everyone started coming here from the surrounding areas, um, which resulted in a year later, um, the passage of the nudity ban, which states that you have to have your genitals covered. And what year was that? Do you remember? Um, 2012. I don't think that, you know, we're going to have much success in overturning that law. It's easier to stop a law being enacted than it is to overturn it, unfortunately. So, on a fantasy level, do you have a nude bucket list of things you would like to do? I would love to go to someplace where it's freer. I've never seen it. Uh, Germany. I don't know what the status is in Spain anymore. I keep reading different reports about Spain and nudity and the acceptance of it there. I, I Maybe it's regional, I don't know. But to go someplace like that where it's really acceptable is on the bucket list. Of course, money's involved. The nude cruise sounds appealing to me, although I don't know, I'm not really a cruise kind of guy. It would be wonderful if we could just be naked anywhere. I remember when I was doing landscape paintings, my boyfriend and I would drive north to Humboldt County where we had, he had friends who lived there off grid and we would be naked for weeks at a time and we would go anywhere not into town, not on grid, but we would walk around the roads and visit neighbors and no one cared and we were naked and it was fabulous. <laughs> but, you know, you have to have space for that and those places um, are far and few between, I imagine. Well, thank you for this. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you. That was a special afternoon. Not long afterward, I found myself being interviewed for Naked Age. 
The episode was titled San Francisco Naked Guy, which, frankly, gave me a dose of imposter syndrome. I always felt that it should have been Woody. During that interview, I told a story about a positive encounter I'd had while walking naked through the Castro with a friend I didn't name. What friend was Woody? Later, I discussed a few of my own naked heroes, but somehow failed to include Woody among them. He may have been just too close and too real for me to clearly see the magnitude of his influence on me, but in terms of bravery regarding public nudity and being more open about my nudism, Woody Miller was my most powerful inspiration. I owe him. And I miss him. I'm grateful to Woody's husband, John Wilson, and our mutual friend, Kelly Hill, for enabling publication of this recording. Thanks to Evan Nix for the opportunity to remember Woody in this way. Most of all, thank you, Woody, for opening and leading me through so many closet doors. This episode of Naked Age included music licensed and sourced from Envato Elements. The theme song was composed by me. If you enjoy Naked Age, please head over to your podcast platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Your testimonials help Naked Age attract new listeners who want to learn about the fascinating history and culture of the nudism movement. Join the Naked Age community with a paid subscription to our Substack newsletter, Planet Nude. Starting at just $5 a month, you can support the research and content that goes into the newsletter, as well as this podcast, both of which are labors of love. Subscribe at www.planetnude.co. Finally, if you appreciate this podcast or follow me and my work on other platforms, please reach out, send me a message or at me, or email me at evan at planetnude.co. I'd love to hear from you. My name is Evan Nix, and this is Naked Age. Thanks for listening.